0: Hello and welcome to the Hindus Parley podcast, where we get a 360 degree view on all the big stories. In 18 months, the Taliban controlling Kabul has broken every promise it made on Afghanistan, on inclusive government, on women's rights, girls' education, minority safety, terrorism, and many others. Should India, that has opened its engagement with the Taliban and reopened its mission in Kabul this year, review its decisions in the face of these broken promises? And what options does India really have? My guests today are experts on Afghanistan and security issues, Amar Sina, the former member of the National Security Council, as well as the former Indian ambassador to Afghanistan. Also joining us, Tara Karta, who worked with the National Security Council Secretariat and is an analyst. Thank you both for speaking to us.
1: Thank you for inviting us.
0: Pleasure to be here. So I would like to begin by asking you what you think of India's policy. How do you perceive India's policy towards the Taliban today?
1: Well, if you ask me, the Taliban was always a bad word as long as we served there. So I find it a bit difficult to really uh, explain what our policy towards Taliban is has't changed but one could really say that India's approach to Taliban is perhaps realist one could even say it's very accommodating, it's tolerant and of course tactical.
0: Right. Ms. Karta would you agree that there is a certain pragmatism to the way India is dealing with the Taliban? Because after all, as Ambassador Sinha says, for years, India did not engage the Taliban. And it's only in the recent years that they engage it and now actually have reopened a mission in Kabul with the Taliban in control there.
2: Yeah, I think it's a nice, very, what shall I say, welcome dose of realism, because you don't get to choose what governments are there in each countries. You deal with whoever is there. That's always more or less been our policy. And should be, if you ask me, in our policy, because you know they, the Taliban are Afghan. We've been saying Afghan-led; they are Afghan, right? So that at least that uh, that condition is is established, right? Uh,
0: Ambassador Sina, would you agree? Because at some level, the Taliban is a part of Afghanistan, and and so uh, India's engagement. Um, Ms. Karta seems to suggest, was in fact a little delayed. It could have even happened earlier. Uh, But on the idea of why we did not engage the Taliban before, do you think those reasons are still valid?
1: See, uh, our policies for the last 20 years uh, obviously was based on uh, supporting the Afghan people, supporting the democratic government, trying to uh, build Afghanistan as a nation state. Uh, Obviously, what we are doing today is... uh, i would say an about turn I and mean, it's it's pragmatism which is uh, also born out of the fact that there are very few options uh, it's driven by a fear of missing out as if taliban is the only sort of uh, action happening in afghanistan but in the process what is happening is that we have dished everything or jettisoned not only our friends but even afghanistan as a nation now is that the type of nation we would want in our neighborhood uh, and uh, as uh, as uh, part of South Asia, which is so radicalized, which is driven by ideological, uh, some sort of a mullacracy, etc. And and mind you, it is it's very different from what you have seen in Iran. Iran was perhaps more of a developed uh, nation as, as a or a society, so they could deal with that. But Afghanistan is not in a position to deal with it, and I feel that it is going to sow sort of uh, seeds for even further destabilization and continuation of terror. And, and many of the policies that we have uh, worked on are today actually uh, have come to naught.
0: All right. Um, Ms. Karta, if I could ask you, do you think that in fact what India has done may be pragmatic, but is in a sense unprincipled? Because whatever India stood for with Afghanistan in the past, now it has turned that around uh, to deal with the Taliban.
2: No, I agree with actually with Ambassador when he says that to some extent, we've abandoned our principles regarding Afghanistan because we stood for women's rights. We stood for, you know, demo, a certain degree of democracy that was there. But the thing is, if you, you know, we are committed as, as the prime minister said to the people of Afghanistan. And if you want to make a difference for the people of Afghanistan, you have to work some extent through the Taliban. And also remember, Sohasini, it is not just that we've established one large embassy there and it's business as usual. It's not. We are just working through that mission to get in aid. We are working through WFP. We are working through WHO. So that part of it is going on. And if, you, if we genuinely want to help the people, there is no other way. And that is what all the other countries are doing. I mean, I abhor what the Taliban is doing. But that's the reality.
0: Sure. But if I could just discuss that a bit further, because, you know, as you said, what the Taliban is doing in the past year, uh, the Taliban began by making big promises about women's education. It did not keep any of those promises. They shut down schools for girls. They shut down all education for girls between the sixth grade and the 12th. More recently, they have shut down universities for women. Uh, They don't allow women to work in most professions. They uh, don't allow now women to work in engineering. NGOs as well. So, in a sense, what you were saying is that India's belief is that uh, it is helping the people of Afghanistan. Uh, does that mean that it doesn't matter how that is being done? Because after all, now you are working through humanitarian uh, uh, groups that will not have women in them. That in a sense, India is becoming a tool of propagating that kind of uh, oppression uh, as well. Would you agree with that, Ms. Kartham?
2: I think that's a good question, actually. It's a very hard choice because I think what the Taliban are doing is that they are using this as a bargaining tool to get what they want, you know. So if they are going to get women out of NGOs, it's going to be disastrous. There's no other word for it because many of these are the only sources where the people have of getting some kind of assistance on the ground. But, you know, we've seen also in the past that, at least where education was concerned, even in the first Taliban regime, they would sort of say these things and not implement it entirely. They would implement it depending on the commander. They would implement it in some areas and some others they would not. So it's a constant, it seems to me, at least sitting here, that there's this constant bargaining going on at one level. And at second level, it is how differently it is implemented from region to region. So we have the option that wherever we have a little space that we can go ahead and help as much as we can in all these areas.
0: Right. That That is an interesting point. Ambassador Sana, how would you respond to this idea that India is becoming an instrument in perhaps uh, the Taliban's oppression of its people, but at the same time, at least India is helping where it can. Does India have any levers in this situation? Well, if you,
1: if you look at... Uh, the principal sort of benefactors of Taliban are the people who support it. No, They are there today, basically, largely one could argue because of the American negotiations and this sort of paved their way to Kabul. They were in a position to fight for 20 years because of Pakistan. Now, the question about their dependability, I think, is answered by how they have acted with these two countries who are the most helpful to them. If you judge Taliban by that uh, standard, i don't know whether we have that sort of a leverage so i i really don't understand what really they can give to us uh, of course everybody is acting in the name of people of afghanistan but it is the people of afghanistan who are suffering the most under the taliban it is repression it is absolute basic denial of fundamental rights and what taliban is doing and what it is telling the world not only india of course i think it, is, it uses the india card because it helps it regionally but so the world also is saying, leave us uh, the way we are. We will uh, govern or we have these 30 million people who are captive uh, under the sort of a barrel of a gun. Uh, but you keep helping us and providing food assistance and all sorts of uh, financial aid so that we can pretend that we are a normal government. But the fact is that Taliban uh, is neither a normal government nor Afghanistan today is what would be defined as a normal state. Uh, it has kept the pretenses of a government because it has retained the old structures of what the democratic government had, the history, et cetera. But the fact is that the people in Kabul today are as helpless, perhaps even those factions which are in the government when it comes to decision-making, which is being uh, uh, made in Kandahar by a handful of very hardcore, ultra-Orthodox mullahs. So uh, there are other ways also, and you see just delivering... uh, aid, in terms of food aid, whether it's wheat or medicine uh, in situ, is one way and a very important way of helping, but it doesn't solve the problem of Afghanistan. Ultimately, how does a nation state like that? And that's what we did for the last 20 years, help build their capacities, help educate them. All that, unfortunately, has stopped because of our new jerk reaction uh, to what happened in August 2021. and we basically ended up hurting our friends much more than Taliban, uh, and that is, I am sure, that message is not lost on Taliban in terms of your own reliability.
0: Sure, um, the fact that India has not actually given visas, and I'd like to come to that in a bit, but I do want to broaden this particular question. Given what we've seen, almost a brazen defiance of any kind of international norms, with the Taliban shutting down all ac- avenues for women to even leave the home. What can the world do? Should the world say we are shutting down all engagement with the Taliban? Should the world be shutting down its missions in Kabul? Or is that unrealistic? Uh, Could I start with you, Ms. Karta?
2: Yeah, see, Hasni, you'll find there is a difference of view between Afghans who are living abroad and Afghans who are within the country. You know, it's a very stark choice. Either you say, you know, we don't like what you're doing. We are not engaging with you and nothing no aid no medicine no vaccines nothing or you go in and do the best you can now the people outside afghanistan would prefer that you you do that you know you say we're not we've got nothing to do with you but what's happened to the people within afghanistan so there is i think we've delivered an impressive amount of aid and that is still going on and we can only hope like i said the taliban policies are implemented variably in different parts of afghanistan we can only hope that if at all we start our projects again, in those areas, you can make a difference in education, quietly and within, in, a, in a very subtle way. Manage those situations there. That's all we can do. Or you can leave the field open to all those characters. See, the Taliban's, uh, what shall I say, they are, their base so far has been one large group of international terrorism. That is their audience. It was their audience. Now, do you want them to rely on those guys or do you want to rely want them to rely on the rest of us? Like Japan, I think has just promised another 100, and 100 plus million aid to Afghanistan, not to the Taliban, to Afghanistan. So either you go that way. You know, it's like what I'm saying. You want to make a difference, you have to be on the ground or you walk away. Ambassador Sina, how does, what should the world really be doing in
0: this situation? Is there any way of forcing its will on the Taliban, particularly when it comes to women? I
1: don't think uh, the world has too much of leverage left today uh, over Taliban. That is why they are behaving in a fairly blatant sort of uh, in-your-face manner. Uh, They are defying every expectation, Uh, not that it is surprising in a sense that they are really playing true to form. Uh, one should have expected that this is exactly what they're going to do, notwithstanding the opeds carried by New York Times, by Rajuddin Akkani, or those nebulous assurances uh, given uh, to different interlocutors. Uh, those were, I think, make-believe. We wanted to believe that, you know, we want to get out, and uh, here is a great alternative, and it will bring peace in the long term. Because ultimately, when Taliban moved into Kabul, it, in a way, also interrupted the, the Doha agreement itself. You see, Doha agreement had two parts. One was, of course, uh, withdrawal, but the other was that it uh, evolved into a peace talks and intra-Afghan talks, which also has been interrupted because once they got power, I think there was no incentive for them to engage with anybody. And that is where I feel that this is going to sow the seeds of further instability uh, in Afghanistan. Governments have done what they can. No, nobody has come up, uh, come forward to recognize them. Uh, the travel bans have not been uh, eased out, and which is a key uh, demand of the Taliban. In fact, even if you don't recognize them, they are quite happy with it. But they would want that you first give them the aid and assistance and remove the travel ban. So that is where we are. And of course, we are in a great dilemma because, you know, when, when I say principles stand, it's not that the principles of democracy or value, or, uh, but you see the principle in terms of how we have looked at the entire issue of terrorism. And, and this outreach to Taliban or to the elements within Taliban, which are on designated lists, does dilute that stance of ours, no matter what we say and how many conferences uh, we hold. Uh, because we are basically back to a stage where we are, we ourselves are differentiating between what is good Taliban and bad Taliban, uh, which we used to argue
0: against. That's an interesting point that on terrorism, uh, India has diluted its stance. So uh, you mentioned Sirajuddin Haqqani, for example, he was one of the leaders that the Ministry of External Affairs sent officials to talk to in June when the mission was set up. Of course, Rajya is most uh, well-known in India for having carried out these attacks on Indian missions, one in which a foreign service officer died. Certainly, many of our security officials died. You were in uh, uh, Kabul, I think, uh, when there was an attack on the Indian mission in, uh, in Mazar.
1: Yes, and Jalalabad and Herat. All three.
0: So give me a sense of how this turnaround, uh, what it reflects on the Indian government, when the Indian government is now in talks with not only the Taliban, but that sect, that uh, uh, part of the Taliban that was responsible for those attacks.
1: You see, uh, I think the entire policy is driven by a hope that uh, there are fissures within the Taliban and you have some space to play. Uh, We tend to overlook that these spaces are available for other countries also, to the Americans, to the Pakistanis, uh, of all. And Pakistan, if there's any country which has any influence on Sirajuddin Haqqani, it is Pakistan which has the largest influence on the Haqqanis. Now, if they have not been able to get any satisfaction on issues, uh, whether it was hiding of the Wahiri, which was a solemn promise the Taliban had given to Americans, uh, was not observed, on TTP, not one fighter has been delivered to Taliban. They have, there's no crackdown. What they have done is they have facilitated a dialogue, which, of course, led to some ceasefire, which also broke down fairly uh, uh, quickly. So that is the level of sort of symbiotic relationship between the terror groups that operate out of Afghanistan, of which Sirajuddin Haqqani or the Haqqani network is really the, was well, famously, if I quote the book's name, The Fountainhead, uh, because it has for the last 20 years really run uh, an entire uh, republic of terroristan where each one is international, including the Lashkar-e-Taibas and the e Muhammad. Now, to, for us to expect that they would sort of teach them just because they have great goodwill towards India, I think uh, we would be sort of uh, fooling ourselves. And let's not forget that he remains on the U.N. terror list. He, he remains a designated terrorist, uh, has a huge bounty on its head. But And the interesting part, everybody knows that he's also, he was and remains the main instrument of the ISI. Now, that is why when I said that our principle stand on terrorism gets diluted, because you cannot argue against only nations sponsoring terror when you are willing to sub with the instruments of terror.
0: Interesting. uh, Tough words there, Ms. Kartha. I wanted to ask you, because you spent so much of your career studying just this terrorism from this very region. Um, The Haqqanis, of course, were once called the veritable arm of the ISI. And yet there is, as Ambassador Sinha said, this dichotomy. India is speaking to the terrorists but is is not opening any dialogue with those they believe are responsible for directing the terrorists but are speaking to the terrorists directly uh, do you think that this is problematic in terms of india's own position on terrorism that has been very strong
2: not not really you know see on the ground uh, barring that uh, you know uh, part of it i mean i'll just qualify Taliban as such, even the first Taliban regime has never supported terrorism against India in terms of Kashmir, in terms of, you know, groups which were inimical to India. The Lashkar-e-Taiba was there as a facilitator. The jaish e mohammed was there as a facilitator. But the Taliban themselves, when I say Taliban, I'm talking of the larger group, had never had any policy on India. I mean, they were not interested, you know, they were busy with a lot of other things. Then you have, of course, this sub faction, the Haqqani network. You know who are who are the, the instrument of the ISI, which of course they are. But the thing is, you know what we found is within terrorist groups there are always circles. You know, wheels within wheels within wheels. You know, so there will be one section now. Sirajuddin Hakani is the ministry. He's a minister. You had had this guy, uh, the head of Al Qaeda, being bumped off in the middle of Kabul. So he, I don't know how much, you know, there's a question of his own survival. Does he want to, I mean, I appreciate the fact that he's not a controllable entity. I think I agree with Ambassador Sinha when he says after Pakistan couldn't control him, how can we? But we're not looking to control any of these guys, right? We are just talking two sections of the Taliban who are totally not against India. They want their money, they want a certain amount of Uh, administration because they are they have to deliver something to their people not when I say people I mean their men the men who are dependent on them for money for 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 daily lives the whole group which is 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 linked to each one of these leaders they have to deliver or they will they may just disappear one day so that that is who you're trying to deal with to a limited extent to which we need to get our things going the rest is the kandahari lord which has a like you do you remember the just now the decision in march on the secondary school education that was such a strange decision i mean that the Haipatullah, uh, the, the, the great man himself went on the opinion of one small group of hardline conservatives he himself is a complete conservative and apparently seems to be unable to assert himself you know he's not asserting himself like akund did but this is how the decision-making seems to be going. So you have to work with what there is and hope that in time, this may change. Meanwhile, you have at least one toe on the ground to see what's going on. That's all.
0: Sure. And obviously, the case has been made by uh, India's strategic planners that we cannot be in a situation. We were in uh, in 1999 with IC814 when the Taliban actually facilitated uh the hijackers uh, to leave uh, their country very easily so my question to you would be can india you know you're saying that we have to deal with whom we have there but can india even trust this taliban un reports have come out saying that the jaish Mohammed and the lashkar-e-toiba continue to have in fact have moved more of their uh camps training camps to southern parts of afghanistan uh this could not be without the knowledge of the Taliban commanders, given that this is the
2: area that they control most closely. So can India trust the Taliban on terrorism? To be frank, you can't trust anyone. I mean, you can't trust even some of your best allies without naming names. But in this case, I would also remind you that there are quite, okay, I won't say, Jason, somewhere in those areas, you also have Taliban who are attacking the Pakistanis. Right. So, all this is going on together. On one lot, they are uh, helping the Lashkar-e-Taiba, at least they are giving them shelter where they've been always. right? And on the other hand, there are areas where they they keep fighting with the Pakistanis. They've been, I think, one of the TTP, for example, who are definitely being in shelter. And the curious part, Suhasini, is that the Tehreek-e Taliban was always operating the Taliban, even when the Pakistanis were supporting the Taliban to the hilt. And now suddenly they've turned against the Pakistanis. So you know this is how terrorist groups operate; they can turn around 180 degrees at any point. So if you don't want an, you know, a hijacking incident, you want some con- entities there whom you can rely on to make sure that the LET or the Jaya Mama don't go, you know, off the rails. Not off the rails. Go and you know turn against us. Is you have to have some presence on the ground. You just have to. There's no other way. Ambassador Sinha, your uh, thoughts on whether
0: the dealing, the engagement with the Taliban is necessary because you don't want to have another IC814 situation?
1: Well, I just hope we don't have a situation like that. Uh, Dealing with them engaging factions of Taliban, I think I don't see a problem with that. Uh, Some elements uh, are, of course, very problematic from given India's own history there and their history vis-a-vis India. Uh, these groups really have uh, Indian blood on their hands. Are we willing to forgive all that and forget that and, and uh, make up? Uh, that's a question that policymakers will have to address themselves. Now, the if if you followed this closely, if you look at August 2021, when the leadership was supposed to be in Kandahar, while some some of them had moved into Kabul, that some of the few. First, visitors were deputy emir of uh, Jaisa Muhammad, who had come to renew his allegiance uh, uh, to the Taliban leadership and others. Then there was also reports that they have asked for a jagir, uh, that means land for their uh, relocation of their uh, training uh, activities and headquarters out of Pakistan, because ultimately that is the type of strategic depth that Pakistan looked at. Uh, that it could have an element of deniability and, and say that these all groups operate out of uh, Pakistan. And and plus, you see, it is so difficult to distinguish between one and the other. Now, just look at what has happened since. The, the one country which really came out very openly and publicly in favor of Taliban that how it has brought back security and how they feel secure was Russia. The first attack that happened, and it's obviously not done by Taliban, against Russian uh, uh, embassy, and two uh, diplomats are killed. The next attack happens on Pakistan CDA, who gets injured. The third one happens in a hotel where the Chinese residents are and scares. Well, so I guess we can all make our own guesses about who will be the next on that list. So if you could put them in separate categories, and I'm sure Tarakanta would uh, be able to give you greater details, It'll be very easy to say, hey, this group is very good pro-India, it won't hurt us. Uh, but I agree with what Tara said, that the Taliban as an ideology and as an Afghan phenomena, did not have anti-India sentiments. And if you also see the last 20 years, uh, our own the attacks and our own reactions, we never single, single out Taliban as the, as, as the sort of facilitator. We always said it was the Haqqani Network and the lashkar e taiba who had outsourced their work to a Aqqani Network for all the attacks that happened in Afghanistan against Indian interests. Sirajuddin and the Khani Network, were, while they were aligned with Taliban, it was only around 2014-2015 that they formally got merged in the structure. And that was part of the Pakistani plan to whitewash this group, which they felt that they had the biggest control, to mainstream them. Uh, and that is what has happened. And they are today in, in, in uh, they control Kabul uh, in many ways. Uh, all the key ministries uh, are with them, whether intelligence or uh, uh, interior uh, border affairs, where uh, the real meat is in terms of the Afghanistan uh, power. So it will be a difficult choice for us. Uh, and I guess uh, we have got a technical mission which will continue there. Uh, but we have to be very careful, and we'll have to take everything that is told to us with a huge pinch of salt.
0: Could I, I quickly ask you there? Do you think then, having opened engagement with uh, the Taliban, India should now uh, restart talks or try to at least with Pakistan?
1: Well, I guess that'll be the logical step uh, if we want to normalize relationship. Because you see, there are two things: a, a radical this sort of an ideological government in Kabul is going to be nobody's friend. And they are showing it every day that they are not even friends of Pakistan. It's going to affect Pakistan in several ways, but unfortunately, it will also radicalize the Pakistani society to that extent. Now, we have to really think, is a radicalized Pakistan society good for us or not? We have already suffered because of radical radicalization that happened within the military and the ISI. Now, do you want larger radicalization? So there I feel we need to cooperate. We need to help Pakistan to sort of uh, meet this challenge of radicalization uh, within the society because in the long term, it's against our interest. How we achieve it, I don't know. I I think as of now, the temperatures are so high that uh, I don't see that there would be a Conversation, at least public conversation between our two countries, uh, between with Pakistan. So let's see um, if there are back channels are operational, which I'm not aware of.
0: Right. Tara do you think India should now open its engagement with Pakistan, given
2: that it's talking to the Taliban? I wouldn't actually link the two. I would say open talks with Pakistan once elections are over, not just yet, and we see who's coming back. On its own on its own uh, merits you know because there's so like I've said often there are so many million problems that the two countries face which they, we have to deal with but talking to Pakistan because we've engaged with the Taliban no I don't see a connection there at all I mean that is they are a sovereign whatever it is you may not like it but it is a sovereign country the Afghan, the Afghanistan and ideally the you know, for example, Sohassni, the ministry of uh, which announced this um, this uh, ban on women education, ministry of uh, I think economy or something. It's called the head is a guy who has studied in Pakistan all his life. This is the problem in the Taliban. It is that the whole lot of them, like I said at the beginning, Afghans. It is an Afghan government, but the trouble is they are all brainwashed inside Pakistan. You know, so this is going to be a continuing problem. Regardless of the fact whether that individual minister still has contacts in Pakistan or not, as Ambassador said, there is a continuing ideological link between these two. Our job is to make sure that that link is slowly reversed. You know, and by getting the heavily quoted moderate, when I say moderate under quotes, Taliban into the mainstream, talk to them, you know, and remember, the more you manage to push in, say, women's rights into the dialogue, the more the character of the, the regime will change. So it's not just women's rights per se, but it is changing the character of that administration. And that is what they're frightened of, of course, that is, which is why they will be very wary of changing anything. So I, 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 I think we should, Pakistan is a different story. I don't think we should talk to them because of Taliban. Sure.
0: And and I should point out over here that even people like uh, uh, Abbas Tanikzai, um and uh, I think Ahmed Wali Hakmal were uh, educated in India. So uh, there are those in the Taliban who have had some understanding of the Indian ethos as well. Um, Could I turn then, because one of the big shifts has been this engagement with the Taliban. Could I turn then to the other big shift on security issues, which is India is at present not in any way assisting the non-Taliban opposition. So uh, whether it's visas for uh, those who were in the government, in the Ghani government, or whether it is support political support for them now that they are in exile, or whether it is any kind of the military support for the resistance front of the kind that India was at one point delivering to the Northern Alliance, to Ahmad Shah Massoud. Um, do you think this needs to change? Should India be actually dealing with the non-Taliban opposition in any way or form, in terms of support, in terms of political voice, or in terms of military support? If I could start with you, Ambassador Sina.
1: Oh, my categorical answer would be yes, Suhasini. Because if our stated policy is that we are willing to engage with the entire spectrum of Afghan people, and this was the argument we used when we there was an outreach to Taliban, then I don't see any reason why we have to forsake the ones who have been forced to leave Afghanistan. You see, uh, at times, very pejoratively, people talk about you know the Afghanistan, which has become diaspora. So we have to distinguish between some who abdicated their duties and ran away, and others who had to flee because of to their life because of the history of having a very anti taliban stance. But the political process, and I think that is where we uh, have been slow to start. There is absolutely no reason uh, why, if they can all. Be meeting in, say, Turkey, and then taking shelter in Turkey, and Turkey is allowing them that uh, freedom. Uh, why India should not allow where, where some leaders are here and many others would like to come? Uh, or even, for example, something like a Herat Security Dialogue. Why can't the Afghans from outside can come to India? We facilitate them. It starts a dialogue uh, among Afghanistan, and that is what we are saying, you know, that we are still talking about an inclusive government. You can't have an inclusive government if you think that people of Afghanistan are only those which are under the repressive Taliban, regime, and the rest are history. They are not. Uh, we all know that, uh, you know, uh, there, there is a revolving door sort of a policy within Afghanistan in terms of QAV. So we while we should definitely try and make new friends, but we don't really have to forget our old friends uh, like this. And that, I think, is a shortcoming basically because we have approached the issue purely from a security perspective. Uh, I strongly believe that diplomacy has to come back front and center once again, including uh, a technical mission, which is more empowered to do good, Uh, not only wait for uh, flights to bring in aid from India, but also assist people who are looking for uh, education, uh, and, and, you know, the best antidote to radicalization is education. How can we deny that and then expect that uh, it will become a nice, modern, prosperous state? These are certain, some of these issues that we really have to sort out. And that will only happen if the entire diplomatic toolkit, MEA has ownership on and it is able to push it.
0: Tara do you think the Indian government should be supporting the non-Taliban opposition Politically, in
2: terms of other kinds of support or militarily? Mm, so actually, what I think is the most pathetic in our policies are visa policy, right? Especially in terms of people with serious medical conditions. I'm talking of a different, I mean, not not non-Taliban, I'm talking of our policy as a whole. Why aren't we giving them that assistance? I think it's it's really, really tragic that we can't do this. However, in terms of engaging with the opposition, yeah, you can facilitate them in international forums and things. But if you want an effective hand inside Afghanistan, I don't think you can do both. You cannot have, say, one lot of opposition leaders sitting here and, you know, it, it's going to, it can be done. But that means your mission in Afghanistan is going to be that much more difficult. Because they are going to turn the screws on you. So I would say facilitate them in every way you can without being overt about it. That's all. I would definitely say that don't abandon them. Please help them in in any way you can in in other terms, in maybe, you know, in in various ways. Uh, Rather than having a sort of a declaratory policy of saying, okay, we'll give them houses in Delhi and, you know, that kind of thing. That might just be a little difficult.
1: No, no, definitely, Tara. Nobody wants them to be uh, given housing, etc. But and no, um, do I advocate uh, that we should give get into sort of extending this fight by giving military uh, military assistance, etc. No, no, far from it. But the political process, where the consultation among leaders uh, needs to be facilitated, and we don't have to be an active participant there. But even if we allow them to travel freely in and out of the country, they would be able to at least come to a common understanding because when they engage with Taliban, if ever Taliban wants to engage, they at least should have a common platform, which is today, I don't think it's possible because they're dispersed through four different countries. It's in Tajikistan, uh, some in Germany, some in uh, Turkey, uh, a couple of here. We are the only ones who have serious reservations about any political activity happening here. Uh, now, that is what I uh, think uh, is where we are lacking uh, in terms of, we have to nuance our policy.
0: But are you both saying that that the kind of support we gave MHA Shah Masood or uh, the Northern Alliance, we should not be extending to Ahmed Shah uh, Masood's son or to the resistance
1: front? If you ask me, Suhashini, I would say no. First, because uh, even my own sense is that even among the uh, non-Taliban leadership, there is no consensus yet that it is necessarily the mantle of leadership has fallen Mahama Shah Masood's son. He's ambitious, he's very capable, etc., but he's also very young. Uh, And of course, he represents, uh, which increasingly people see, just a faction from Kaksir. How do we have to start looking at uh, such a small microcosmic group or a more broad-based group? So These are questions that ultimately the Afghan leadership has to resolve. It's not really for us to decide who will be the leader. Second, I don't think anybody has the appetite for a fight right now. So to just getting into assisting with arms and uh, ammunition and weaponry, I think it will be counterproductive. Uh, And plus, you'll have to... live with the blame that uh, you did not lend uh, uh, do anything to end the fight in afghanistan but you actually stoked the fires and why should we do that uh, maybe if the situation changes and there is growing resistance within uh, afghanistan and and if there others come forward and i guess uh, like the last time um, india would be asked for uh, eventually when it comes to that so but we should not be the first to do that
0: All right. And certainly there's little international appetite at the moment. Finally, I'd like to put a question to both of you. Given that the Taliban is continuing to break those promises that it made, whether it was on an inclusive government, whether it was on the rights of minorities, the rights of women, girls' education, and possibly on terrorism as well, given that that is where the Taliban is today, breaking promise after promise, should India's policy from this point on, Change in any way? And if so, where would you like to see the changes? I'll give the first word to you, Ms. Kartha.
2: I think you can you do it in a practical way. Like you were talking about supporting the opposition. Why not funnel, try to funnel aid at least to Panjshir areas, to Baglan areas, to Uzbek areas? That's a that is a positive way of trying to help these people, you know. And I would say, Swhazni, anything which causes more bloodshed to these poor Afghans, I'm completely against. What you can do is, if we are going to restart projects, tie that to, a, like I said, to a school, you know, to tie a school which is in the area and, and patronize that school. That is the way you can bring about incremental differences. Otherwise, there's not a lot you can do at this stage.
0: All right. Um, Ambassador Sinan, the last word to you.
2: Well, you know, my last word, let
1: me refer to, you know, some, some sort of, I sense bit of... Uh, Uh, rejoicing um, both here and outside uh, at the problems that Pakistan is facing with with the Taliban. But it actually uh, omits one thing, that the reasons for which the Taliban is fighting, whether it is the issue of Durand Line, whether it is the issue of transit, etc., are structural and historical, and that, that is nothing to do with Taliban. Even the democratic governments in Afghanistan uh, had the same issues with Pakistan. They, they have not gone away. So that will continue. Now, if that being so, do you think uh, tactically also it's very good that we should rejoice at this discomfort and, and throw the entire Afghan population under a bus so that Taliban can keep sort of uh, poking a finger in Pakistan eye? The fact is that Pakistan will have to, uh, because all Afghan governments have resented their overbearing uh, attitude, their uh, uh, internal meddling, their, uh, their their attempts to control the Afghan polity. So, for that, we don't necessarily need a Taliban government in Afghanistan. Uh, my view. Uh, so, we'll have to keep that in mind when we factor in, because ultimately, the, the Taliban government it, is that a long-term solution for Afghanistan? I would think uh, no. It is just a, a phase. It may last last time it uh, lasted. Five years, this this time it may last less, more, we don't know. Ultimately, it depends on what sort of uh, terror laboratory it becomes and what sort of attacks emanate out of there. But even if the attacks don't emanate, the fact that the ideology emanating out of there is equally toxic. And that is something that we have to be very conscious in, the, in the, going forward. And the other points that I've said that we don't have to review because you had asked a question uh, uh, we don't have to review our presence. The technical mission should stay there, but it has to be empowered more so that it has that ability to help. and but but we have to be very conscious that you know some of the key supporters of uh, Taliban have been hit already, not by Taliban, but even forces inimical to Taliban. And to create more problem for the regime, we and Iran and a few other neighboring countries perhaps could be next on the list. So we have to be very conscious of that.
0: All right. On that note, Ambassador Amarsina, Tarakarta, thanks so much for speaking with us at the Hindus Parlay podcast. If you've been listening, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.